You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Welcome, what? welcome, welcome. What? what? What are you saying? Welcome. Are you waking me up for this? <laughs> no, I'm not asleep. One, two. Yeah. All right. One, two, what? (laughs) (laughs) That was my test. Yes, I know it's your test. And for the whole, how many episodes? Let me just tell everybody. You're going to tell them anyway. 471 episodes. I've had to listen to testing, testing, one, two, one, two, testing, testing, one, two, one, two. I was listening to Howard Stern and Robin's microphone wasn't working properly. And and, uh, Howard said, um, keep speaking into it. And the first thing she said, she went, testing, one, two, testing, one, two. One, two, one, two, like that. So, Ugh. <laughs> I guess it's, boring. it's a broadcasting thing. You need to be a broadcaster like me. I guess I do. I'll <laughs> pass. If I have to be like that, then I'll pass. What was, the befo- what was the before the show talk? The before the after the show discussion was... I don't even We're talk- remember. I was talking about Sully, uh, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> oh, yes, you were. And you're talking. I was how Clint Eastwood makes a lot of movies, uh, but if you go and look on his IMDb page, he has no upcoming movies written down on there. So he probably just plans very carefully. Maybe he's making one in secret. No secrets anymore, though. Not from the internet. (laughs) But uh, yeah, he's getting up there. Maybe he's tired. Well, he's yeah. (laughs) He's. I am to think if you just decide when you're older to be a productive person. Regardless of you, I mean, you can't feel great every day when you're, how old is he? 90? No. Probably almost 90. He's in his 80s, yeah. Right. Um, might as well just do what, you know, why would you, what would you do? What was the alternative? Just sit there and wait to die? Like, you know, that doesn't sound great if you can be productive in your own way. True. There's my advice early in the show. Be productive when you're old. No, that's not it. So this uh, <laughs> this podcast is for the weekend of Saturday, March the 18th. It's after the show number 471. We are a podcast review. We review movies. This week's movie is Sully on Blu-ray. Uh, it's a 2016 movie. It's out now from our friends at Warner Brothers. It's rated PG-13. Comes to you from director Clint Eastwood. And Sid Talk will give you the synopsis of the movie, Sully. I don't think I need to. I mean, come on. If Is you don't know what happened in this story, it's the guy who landed the plane in the Hudson River in 2009. Yes, a true was story. Was it 2009? Yeah. Yeah, it was 2009. I was really Other than it's not about the event necessarily, it's about the mixture of the fallout for him, the challenge to his choices that he made, Kind of the bureaucracy that comes with even that sort of More what everyone else sees as a heroic thing, but it's about the bureaucracy on a top man of it. Himself, as yeah, well. yeah. So, um, I haven't. Did you see anything about Sully? Did you see the trailer for Sully? I don't think I did, because none of it seemed so. familiar when I watched it. You know, I was not like, oh, I've seen that already. That crash, or you know, the way it is done. We have and seen it, all the footage of the original thing, right? So I would probably mix them together. So what I really like about this film, uh, first up off the bat, is the way the um, way Clint Eastwood has constructed it. It's not a straight up. It actually starts by seeing a version of the crash immediately, not the not the actual real kind of what happened, but like a different version of the crash immediately. Happens to be a dream kind of sequence. Yeah. 
But the way it's constructed, this movie, like, it's already happened, and then you're seeing Sully going through this bureaucracy stuff, and then you actually see it for real, like a whole 20-minute sequence that is really intense. And then it goes back to the paperwork and the dealing with the people stuff. With it's Sully. framed. So the event is And then is it goes framed. back and you see it again. Yeah. But through different eyes at that point because you, it's... A, More details. It's like a courtroom movie at the end. You know, Well, it's a hearing. Because he's being like... It's, it's a weird story because he saves a bunch of... Spoilers. It's a real life event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he um, is an aircraft pilot who... the. Some birds fly into both engines. It has no thrust anymore. He lands it in the Hudson River, saves all the people on board. Nobody is injured, and from all somebody rights, is injured, but nobody's dead. Well, there's an injury, but from all those people should be dead. That that kind of crash would usually end up. Are you saying they're going to be followed around by uh, Final Destination Twenty Five? For the rest of their life in 26. <laughs> right. How many Final Destinations are there? If you cheat death, Final Destination, the movie, is coming for you. But the um, the main problem of landing a passenger jet on water is because it comes down so fast, it usually, if you don't get it perfectly level from a good pilot, it would tip over and smash itself to pieces on the water and you'd all be dead, right? Which has happened, yeah. Which has happened, yeah. yeah. So this pilot being a... who he is, and there's luck involved, but also skill, lands it, saves all these people. Now you would think, you know, that guy is an absolute hero. We should, you know, do everything to, to, you know, thank you to this guy. But this airline company... Have to take it to a it's tribunal. It's not the company, it's the NTSB. Yeah, it goes to a tribunal yeah. to say, well, maybe, Mr. Sully, even though you did land it and save all these people, maybe you could have landed it at an airport instead of the river and that wouldn't have damaged our plane and wouldn't have been this public right, thing. Because you have, could have killed everyone you could by have landing on the river. So. so they question him and also like do um, simulations on computers to try and prove that... He could have done it a different way, which is to all me that's bullshit. like it's not bullshit because it does it is a training method and it does give you like instead of like being in the plane when you're learning to fly and stuff it gives you the opportunity but you can't subtract what it's really like in the moment just like a surgeon might you have learn to make a-, a simulated surgery thing right but nothing nothing cha- nothing fills in for that moment when you have to make you've a got the split. knife and you know so i think that it really does highlight that really well that he could have also gotten taken down by it if he didn't wasn't clever enough to sort of and force was- them to really think about it not just they were kind of going through the motions you know you brought down a plane don't have any we we show that your choices were wrong and therefore the result of that would have been him losing his everything. But instead, he, I guess in real life, because I don't know the whole of that story, but I'm taking this for a I read, more. I read the Wikipedia. Right. It's pretty much what happened. Okay. And then so he he's retired. like, you've got, he brought up the way that they could look at their simulations a different way. And that. If he wasn't the type it. of guy who would question this hearing, though, just another type of pilot who's like, no, I, I'm, 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 I guess I'm in trouble, he would have. Literally had his wings stripped from him. But this guy decided to fight back and say, you can't just base everything on these computerized 
you know, uh, simulations of what I could Correct. have done because this is what I did. <laughs> and this is the decision I made. Like you say, if you're a surgeon and you're cutting into the veins near the heart, you're doing heart surgery and all of a sudden one of them ruptures and you have to make an instant decision to do something and that thing causes the death or doesn't, it actually saves the person, then a computer can't simulate But the computer that. thing says, well, that wasn't possible. The com- oh, the computer- it wasn't possible that that's what went wrong. Right. You must have done something wrong. You know, that kind of that's thing. That's what so. this was saying. Like, I, I, it was really at the beginning where they were questioning him. When even the air traffic controller was saying, which engine has gone out? Because yeah. both engines go out. Uh, some birds fly into it's the It's almost engine. like they didn't believe him. That, that never huh? happens. It's yeah. impossible. <laughs> impossible. So when he said, no, both engines, real calmly, like over the... And, and the guy's like, he, he says both engines. He even says that to a guy. Almost like saying, there's no way it could be two engines, but he seems to think it is. Like... So, yeah, there's a lot of questioning on this guy. It's quite clear. I mean, it's uh, it, the facts of what happened are right there. A guy landed a plane in a miraculous way and saved a load of people. And only he did get, he did become a hero to the public, right? The public were. Um, but back there, it was like he was in trouble and having his hands slapped. I, and I felt that from this movie. I think that it did a good job of that. I felt like the parts in the tribunal hearing type thing, they were very Hollywoody. I don't think they go down like that quite so. I like, agree. Especially when she said, she put her hand up and said, oh, we've just, uh, the, just this second, the uh, we found the engine. And here's all the results from the tests from on the engine. It's like no, that didn't no. Happen. She didn't say just a second. She said we it's, just got the report. Right. It's just come in now. Like like just come in now. Like like just well, at the, they were at the a lot of the things where, they couldn't. They, none of them were allowed to even look at until that moment. Right. So I'd say that's where that came in. They weren't allowed to look at the simulation. Nobody was until it was happening live, so that nobody could manipulate it. I'm wondering if that, if those hearings are watchable the real ones i don't feel like they're quite so no it feels very compartmentalized it's like c-span <laughs> yeah if it, you love that kind of thing you're gonna love it but yeah it's a little i felt like i was watching the cliff notes version of a thing uh, and then you know skewed towards the sully guy to make him look like he's this guy who won them over kind of thing but aside from that the um actual what what i gotta give this movie and it's not something Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's a very economical filmmaker. Not economical necessarily in money, but it equals money because he's very economical in his time. Right, and I don't think always he cares that much about things looking the greatest, or it's just we'll we'll get it to that point. Well, typical, the baby in American Sniper, right? There, that scene. Ah, 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 that, ah. that scene. Anybody can look at that scene. There and was go. one you forgot to mention earlier. We were trying to think of Clint Eastwood movies in recent times. But anyone can look at that. That wasn't Clint Eastwood, was it? Yeah, he directed that. Anyone <laughs> who looks at that scene in American Sniper would say that your that standard scene, is too low. That's you've got a low standard because that that could have been fixed. <laughs> um, but this movie, in terms of the CG CG that is used, I buy the entire plane crash. And the landing, and the rescuing at the end. Uh, I mean, yeah, totally. When they're all stood out on the plane, he's not usually such big action. No, and and I this, mean, American Sniper had that, but I mean, this is like big time. I guess, and the fact that it looks 
would you say a million times better than Independence Day regurgence? <laughs> regurgitation. Um, yeah, I mean, it's that's just, what I said. We, we just watched there going, bad. Did we just sit there going, we were going like, are they actually in the Hudson River? Did they let them film this I in the middle of I even said that to yeah, you. Did they, just, did they just bring... I just said that. I said, you just said. No, I'm saying, did, did they just bring it out into the water? But they didn't. There's none of, none of it filmed in the Hudson River. No. And even the... When you see the real shots of the plane on the Hudson River with the ferry coming in and all that stuff, the real shots look exactly like the film. Yeah, very good. I, I wouldn't... If you jumbled all those photos up, I wouldn't be able to tell you which was which. It's um, Aside from seeing the actors, it's really good. Um, we saw the special effects in Independence Day 2 recently. And they're really bad. Everybody looks like they're on a green screen. The shadowing and the lighting's completely wrong for everything. But this, even the smallest scenes looked real. The, the interior of the plane... Yeah, it was really good. I mean, the interior of the plane was a real plane. They brought a real plane into a... Like a tank and stuck it in a tank. But, um... There were, was there anything bad about this film for you? No, I mean, I'll be honest. I think that Tom Hanks was a little bit boring. But then when we got to meet the guy, as dynamic as what he did is, he's quite com- contained and kind of dry. There's no, there's no like, dun, 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 I'm a hero. It's more like, I'm a little bit of a smartass because I actually know he does doubt himself to some degree in the movie. But it's mostly, I think, him doubting how he can get across to them that he made the right decision. So he's a little bit arrogant. I think, because he knows what he's doing so he well. He lives and breathes plays. Exactly. He so he's got a little bit of confidence, and it kind of dries him up. Because he's not Mr. Like, hey. He's not like in flight when we meet Denzel Washington as a pilot who's the drunk and the drug addict, but also is very charming and got very multi-layered personality. Whereas this guy is, you get him very quickly. I felt like very quickly he was. Probably has home problems because of his obsession with his job. And his obsession with his job also makes him probably not everybody's favorite pilot. Because the way that, you know, he's the guy. He's who all, all business. The other pilot, yeah, the other pilots flight. are like, he makes us look bad because he's so, hmm. he knows everything kind of thing. And he sticks to all the books. Like he does So he's everything. very straight. Yeah. And that kind of, there were moments when I was a little bit like, Ugh. Even when he's saving the people in the plane. <laughs> yeah. He's just very... Like, yeah. you go that way, uh, everybody this way. He's but just I think the, his wife in real life and the extra said, I think, not this particular thing, but he's been training for a day like that his entire life. And so it was all in his head over and over and over. What would I do? How would I do it? What would I do? How would I do it? And on the real day, and then the way Tom Hanks plays it as well, he's just, it's like he's just, they've bumped, they've had a fender bender, right? He's just like, get off the plane and... He's a little bit panicked, but not... I think you also know as a leader, as the captain, you have to kind of maintain... You can't fall apart, can you? Or everybody else will freak out. No. Um, but that would be my only thing about the whole movie. Because I was really intrigued by the story and how it panned out. Because I didn't know all that behind-the-scenes stuff. I didn't really know. Uh, one thing that really shocked me was I when the plane takes off and then the birds hit the engines almost immediately as they're climbing... I didn't know it was... I thought they'd been in the air for a while. I thought it was like uh, they'd been in the air for an hour and then, then the birds hit. Mm. I didn't realize it was literally as they were climbing. And then... That's why they had such a problem. I liked the look of... When it cut to the passengers, 
And they, you know, you obviously feel because it's it, it was Canada geese. If you've ever seen one of those things, they're quite big. It was a flock of those flying into both engines, so you would feel that it would feel bumpy. They all knew something was going on, and then as soon as the stewardesses started saying, "Put your seatbelts on," it, you could see like, I, yeah. I, and I felt it myself. What would that be like? You know, when he said brace for impact, yeah. and then the the flight attendants are not stewardesses. Their flight attendants started doing their Why are they thing. not stewardesses? Well, they're just not their flight attendants. Because stewardess, I think, is a bit... Is it? Dismissive of what they actually do. I told you, my perception of flight attendants is they are there to save my life if something goes wrong. Whatever it is. If I choke on that plane, if I fall down on that plane, if a terrorist is on that plane, if that plane crashes or has any issues, those people are the ones... It's just like having your own emergency crew because there's no one else there there's the captain the co-captain whatever he is co-pilot and pilot maybe navigator and your flight attendants and they are there to rescue you not just bring you a soda or a beverage their their whole mind is if something happens in a split second they have to kick into all the training they've ever had so i think stewardess is like like a bit dismissive. Just what I've always called them. I, I don't know if that's a British thing because we no, we call, did them too. But we, we call them flight call stewardesses. Probably not anymore. Probably flight attendants. I'd, I'd actually think they do because I heard somebody on TV say stewardess just recently. So right. I just think it's a cultural thing. Anyway, I don't think it's a cultural thing. But I, I'm not. I'm not saying that me calling them stewardesses is lowering them. <laughs> I think they do a good. They they are everything. But um, back when to they the, started their chant of. Yeah, that's head down, really... stay down, and uh, brace whatever they said, and they started yelling it all in sync together. I ne- obviously, I've never been in a plane with really bad turbulence or anything, so but I one of the I've never things, experienced that. One of the things on the uh, crash I thought of putting myself into the position was they stu- flight hostess, what? flight attendants, flight attendants are. <laughs> Almost looking at you as though you're supposed to know what to do. I don't know what to do if the plane has crashed. And they're telling you to jump out there and do that. And They I, have to know. I thought to myself, when that is happening, it must be chaos. Because people don't think this is going to happen. And people don't know to go that way. They might not have even listened to you when and you And they don't talking. listen, yeah. I'm sure yeah. the panic sets in and everybody just freaks out. And the... From what I could gather, you're supposed to go to either end of the plane and then go out of the exit of the plane, right? In this instance, the plane is in the water. I can't swim. So going into the water would be, uh, like, terrifying for me. I know they give you a life jacket or whatever. Some people didn't. That man who jumped in at the beginning didn't have a life jacket. I guess he didn't pick one up. Mm -mm. But you're in the freezing cold water, literally freezing cold water. And you... There's not really any organization to it. It's just like, get out of the plane and we'll rescue you at some point, right? You could be in that water for... It just seems terrifying. And yes, when they stood on the plane, wing, all in a row, they only just fit kind of on and it. And that's the real deal because we saw the real and pictures it's after. Yeah. And you're stood on this, little, on this piece of metal and you can barely move backwards or forwards. And you can probably see it slowly going down. Well, yeah. And it's freezing. And you don't... You can see maybe somebody's coming to rescue you or not, because it might not immediately happen. I don't think I'd panic, because I can swim. And it's cold, because you could freeze to death in the water, but I wouldn't panic about being in the water. 
necessarily, but, but just, the coldness would be really, really sucky. It, and it seems terrifying. Like, like it's almost like there's some people who know what is ha- what to do, but is there because they probably never crashed either? They've only done training, so yeah, but they I, still know what to do. Yeah, but that's like you have to you have to just. I mean, I believe they do know what to do. But uh, from what I can gather is uh, if you're the person who sits near the door and you have to open the doors, you have to open the doors, but those doors turn into little uh, life rafts. You can like you can float on those mm-hmm. doors. So um, grab a door if you're in one of those. So moving on to the cast, uh, Tom Hanks plays Sully. I thought Tom Hanks was exceptional in this movie. Um, I love him, and that last movie we watched wasn't the greatest. Um, a hologram for, for a king? No. But I think he was great in this movie. Um, really subdued. Like the Actually, when we saw the guy, I was like... That was one of the things I thought was really good about this movie. You see all the real people in the extras. And I think everybody was cast really well. They all... The cast... Maybe not how they look, but how they did the mannerisms and everything seemed perfectly right. Even Aaron Eckhart, he just seemed like that guy. Oh, he was really the good. The way he was. Like. Absolutely. He but was Tom, really good. Tom Hanks, I think, was exceptional in this movie. Um, because he was reining Tom Hanks in completely. He was just this man. The mannerisms That's why of I him. think I felt like, uh, it's a bit, you know, there's nothing here. But, but it is what it, exactly what he was trying to do. Yeah, exactly. It is that. So I, I, was, I was in awe of him. I, I thought, I bought that Tom Hanks knew how to fly that plane. Because when he said, oh, we can't just look as, in the extras, he said... I didn't want to be sat in this plane acting and not and just flicking switches randomly. Like I wanted to look like I could fly it. So right. we went in a simulator and stuff to, to learn it. But I bought him all the time and the way he was really very calm during the entire thing, even when the plane is about to go down, he is the calmest person there. Even the guy next to him, you can see he's shitting himself a little bit, but Sully is just He's on a mission. He's like, I'm going to land this thing and these people are not getting hurt. Like, So I really loved him. Aaron Eckhart, who I think is an underrated actor. Absolutely. He's really good. He plays Jeff Skills, who's the... Um, co-pilot. Co-pilot. And uh, again, he's a subdued version of... He's not Aaron Eckhart. He's, this, he's just an average guy. Like, He's just in this horrible situation and trying to... They work really well together. There's no arguing between them or... What do you mean? The characters? The the two characters they yeah, play. Yeah, of course. I really liked how they they actually didn't really get... It's the most stressful situation ever, I'm sure, right? They didn't actually get... Show any stress between but each other. But that's what you want, right? If you're yeah. trained... Like, if you're... On Not a, yelling at each if other. If you're on a jet plane with 300 people... And something goes wrong. You don't want your captain going, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. I don't remember what that button was for. I'm sure there are some Where are the books? Yeah. First of all, they don't want that on the black box recording. They don't want anybody else to know that they don't know what they're doing. Plus, they've had to work really hard to get that moment to actually be flying your plane. So all things. Now, a personality trait is a different thing. You might think you're fully fully loaded up with training and the personality might let you down like you panic, but I don't think you'd know. Hopefully those are people in positions that can contain it and get the job done. Another thing I thought about during the uh, court hearing type thing at the end where they play the black box recordings back was how you would have to watch everything you say while you're flying a plane. You can't just start dissing the company or <laughs> yeah. telling dirty jokes to each other. Or you would have to 
be a very particular way with each other, wouldn't you? Because you know it's all on there. And exactly. if something happens... And you're you sound like a complete dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> you can't can't. Uh, so yeah, I bet there's a. It makes the the cockpit a very professional place, which it should be. Uh, so I bet you do have to watch what you say. I bet you're thinking about it. Uh, nowadays, well, you shouldn't be thinking about other things, though, right? That's the thing. It's not like you're sitting at an office programming an app for a phone. You are flying a machine thirty thousand feet above the Earth's surface with two hundred people in it, probably. Their entire life is in their t- their lives, their family's lives are all going to be impacted if you don't keep your mind on the job at hand. I know it could get boring though. If you've done forty years of flying, it's going to seem like an office job, but hopefully. I would think now also we're talking many years later that it's actually video and not just a black box. You'd think, but yeah. they don't. Even it, the most recent sure? plane not crashes the- don't have no. The most recent ones don't have, and. They have a hard time even finding them still, which is really bizarre. It is. But you would think nowadays... You could put a nanny cam in there and keep driving. I mean, some, even nowadays, they've got really high-tech video equipment. It should. You would think it would be better if you could see the, and see and hear the whole thing. Because if... It's also expensive, remember. You see who's pressing there what. There are tens you see. of thousands of airplanes in the world that would all yeah. have to be fitted. So, Aaron... Now listen to me. I sound like a company man. Back to Aaron Eckhart, he was actually really good as the the supporting actor in this. Um, Anna Gunn plays Elizabeth Davis. You'll know Anna Gunn from Breaking Bad. She's Walter's wife in Breaking Bad. Uh, what did you think of her? She's a. I felt like she was right because she seemed kind of like cynical and bureaucratic at first, and then the evidence proved that they were wrong. She, you so. could see the emotion uh, yes. at that point when she had to like give it up. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Laura Linney plays um, Sully's wife, Lorraine Sullenberger. Um, Look at, she really capitalized the, the lady, though, because I feel like she's high emotional maintenance. Yeah. Just from the lines in the movie, well, you have to keep flying, and I'm alone here, and, you know, we're going to lose the house, and, you know, I'm not that type of person. And so, to me, she felt super needy. And then when we meet the wife, although she's very eloquent... I felt like a certain fragility about her, so I thought she did a, real, did a really good job. It's the second uh, movie in a row we've seen Laura yeah. Lenny because we just watched um, Nocturnal Animals with her as well. Um, Anne Cusack, uh, these are the three flight attendants. Anne Cusack, Molly Hagen, and Jane Gabbard. They play Donna Dent, Doreen Welsh, and Sheila Dell. Obviously, the real Is people. Is that Marlene, Marcy, Marlene, and Mara? <laughs> that sounded like it. Um, these three also are good in this role. Um, they have to really portray. They don't really. This this kind, you know, like a lot of airplane disaster type movies, even real ones. The way they are framed is you have the build up, you have everybody getting to know each other, you get everybody coming on the plane, you start to know a bit of the passengers. You know, this this isn't framed that way. It's immediately into the tragedy of it, <laughs> like. Like, it doesn't have yeah. enough time to, to know exactly. anybody. It, uh, it's not like... What's the one with the Twin Towers that we were, the United nine, 93? Yeah, United 93. Like, that had time before it happened, and you kind of... It showed you blocks of people, and you kind of got to know them. This, aside from one set of people, those three people, the golf dudes... Yeah. You don't know anybody on the plane. They, Make they, sure to why they picked and choose picked and chose certain um, people on the plane to be highlighted. The the lady in the wheelchair and her her daughter. Yeah. Because they could have interviewed all 150 people 
basically, but to you get don't... stories. Yeah, so these three flight attendants, they are basically the glue that holds together, like, the when the shit starts to hit the fan, they have to kind of tell everybody what to do and then get everybody off the plane. They really played it, played it well, I thought. I wanted to see more of them, and the only scenes you really saw of them were the action scenes. You never saw them sitting down and talking or anything, did no. you, before, so... Um, but they were really good. Uh, this directed by Clint Eastwood. You'll know him. He directed American you know, Sniper. You know, you've heard of him. <laughs> he directed Gran Torino. I did spot a little Easter egg in this movie. When, Unforgiven. When Tom Hanks is running uh, in Times Square, I believe. There's a Gran Torino um, billboard. One of those lit, big with Clint Eastwood's head on it. Which I don't know if it's time appropriate. I don't, I'm don't. i sure it would have been. Um, but yeah, Clint Eastwood's face is in there. Uh, he did Million Dollar Baby, Perfect World, Unforgiven, Mystic River, blah, blah, blah. Those spaghetti westerns, Dirty Harry. Did he's... he do uh, Bridges of Madison County? Was he that Yes, director? he did do that, yeah. Yeah. He, um, he's, a, he's got a long... He started as an actor. Do you think that... And people will laugh at this, but you and I both appreciate this person for his real skill. Is Ben Affleck is a type of actor, writer, director who... As he matures, because the movies we've seen of him directing and being in, like Argo, the town, and now upcoming his Gone Baby Gone, Gone Live, Baby Live by in, Night. It was in Gone Baby Gone. He directed. It was it. his brother. I don't know, but he's in. What I'm saying is actor, director. Right. That as he seasons himself, that he'll get this sort of way. You know you what mean I mean? Like- he'll become the 85 year old Clint Eastwood. Because he will have done it all, except for he doesn't write music, as far as I know. Glenn Eastwood also wrote the score, by yeah, the way. Yeah, he did, yeah. <laughs> Don't forget that little tidbit. He's... And you know what? He probably does the accounting, because he's very cheapskate, I think. But he is like literally a, a movie legend. We learned from another extra that they've given him his own cabana cabin on the on the grounds of the studio, where he goes... Every, I mean, he doesn't have an office. He has his whole own little house. Yeah. Where he, he has his piano and it's a house. You can, like, live in it. On the Warner Brothers stage. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a he's a legend. I mean, it's he's been in film his entire life. And in these last 20 years, I would say, when he turned director, he's made some amazing movies. You can't deny it. And he's still going... To, I mean, he's a little looney tune in the political world. He so is. can't but, forget that part. Yeah, he is, but... Um, I'm just looking at his filmmaking and his acting. Uh, I admire him a lot in that way. But yeah, he is a little bit uh, in his personal. But I mean, holy crap. He's like in his mid-80s and he's making a film like Sully. I mean... We need to determine his age. It's really... I'm going for... We'll have a guess here. Have a guess, listeners. Mine is 85. That's my guess. Using the power of the internet. I'm going to guess 87. We're going to have to do some math. Yeah, he was born in 1930. Right. So that is 87. Thank you. I said 85. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but that's wrong. Yeah, but you know what I mean? He's an 87-year-old who just made Sully. I know. And And we see him on the set. He's an old man. And he's... He's looked... He was like... He squints. He's holding his little monitor. More squinting than usual. (laughs) He holds it really (laughs) close up, doesn't he? (laughs) Shuffles around. He kind of looms around behind the cameraman and stuff like... With his mouth kind of hanging open. And Everybody, he seems to be like, he'll watch a scene and he kind of laughs like he's just watching the movie. I love that. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> and I think, I feel like the team that he works with know exactly what he does and how to operate with him. And he just, you know, it, it seems like an oiled machine with him. But uh, yeah, 
you if you're still if you're still doing stuff like that at 87 <laughs> you know, i'm even doing stuff like that now the guy is pretty is pretty amazing so uh, extras on this blu-ray there are three each one is about 20 minutes long so it's like an hour's worth of stuff they're really good too this is the kind of extras I like yes, to see. Yes, absolutely good. The one yeah. is really weirdly produced. Like That's it's like, really like a Disney special with yeah. that voiceover. Yeah, well, there are three. One is about making the movie with, with Clint Eastwood and the cast. It shows you how they made it. One is the actual real-life story of Sully. Um, with him and his wife and everybody. With the weird voiceover that makes it kind of seem more dramatic than it really is. Yeah. In a world. Yeah, it's like that. And then the first one is actually a a really, really... The first one is my favourite one. It's the events, what happened, as told by Sully and um, Jeff Skiles, like the actual two guys. And they walk you through it and tell it you. In in their words, not in the movie's words, in their words of exactly what was happening. And the movie... Because the cut, the cuts or clips of the movie seems to have got exactly. Yeah, what. I feel like it was, but you know. Hollywood and they were both on the set to to. Um, I was reading they were both on the set the entire time, for factual. You know, like is this right? Did they do this? You know, so th- these are really great extras. This is worth picking up if you want to see some about this movie and about the real thing. I think there's enough there that's it's quite good. So uh, conclusion on uh, Sully. What did you think? You asked me right as I was taking a drink of my coffee. Perfect. So it was really good. Like it's, it's not, I don't agree that it's riveting like the box says there. It's riveting because I guess the story, but not the movie so much. I feel like it's just very utilitarian, tells the story. So for the the CGI of the plane and stuff, it's fantastic. Um, but I feel like I'm trying to watch the Hollywood version of a real thing, not a documentary. And I'm more interested in like... That bureaucracy side, when we all say, he's a hero, and then somebody else is going, wait a minute, though. Was he really a hero? That was really Trying to pull him to- down. Almost. Yeah, and I yeah. thought, what is the alternative here? He was trying to hot dog it at the end of his career and potentially crash and kill 155 people. What do you think he was doing? They're even kind of a bit pissed off. He goes on the Katie Couric show, <laughs> yeah. does an interview. Yeah, we've had enough media yeah and they're even kind of pissed off that he's talking about it in in public like it's like you know you're kind of you're not you're not a hollywood superstar this is just a thing and you're still being investigated so yeah i think it captured the whole situation right i I think it's a great evening movie saturday afternoon movie if you don't want anything offensive or anything and kind of inspirational you need to watch this with uh flight yeah this is a (laughs) pg-13 it's not gruesome it's not. We'll pair it with your two recommendations coming up. This movie's not like gruesome. It's no swearing no, in no. it at all. Um, well, he says, "Whoa, shit." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's pretty. You could sit with kids and watch it, and then have a discussion about this. Definitely. You know, and then they probably never want to fly again after watching this. <laughs> so, um, conclusion. I yeah, I really liked it. I am. I dig Clint Eastwood. I think uh, he. I'm always excited to see what he did. What he's doing, and I, I like how you like Clint Eastwood takes on different things, like because Jersey Boys is so far away from Sully, you know, and yeah, like he. Just... That's what I'm saying, because Ben Affleck, while his movies are all kind of intense, yeah, they're still quite varied in the the scope of what he's stories he's. He telling. likes Boston. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they well... kind of all come around to Boston. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm so, not saying that he is the next Clint Eastwood or that he should be or compared. I'm just saying I'm trying to think of someone, a young man of our generation, really, who's moving in that direction. What about Paul Thomas Anderson? Mm, he's not as prolific. He makes a movie about every 10 years. Yeah. And he's not the same style. He's also not an actor. He's not... He's got a whole different thing. Whereas Clint Eastwood is like Hollywood embodied... Affleck is that as well. Let's be honest; he's been around now for twenty years, and yeah, I guess. But he's picking up on the good skills that it takes. I wonder if Tom Hanks. Uh, Tom Hanks has directed, mm-hmm. but I wonder if Tom Hanks will at one at some point go. I'm sick of being an, yeah that actor. I want to direct because that's what Clint he Eastwood seems did. pretty emotional and deep and spiritual and all that. Tom Hanks does so. Tom Hanks directed that that thing you do. Did you ever mm-hmm. watch that one? I never watched it. it I didn't did appeal watch to it. me at all. It, it's quite good. I mean. It, it's very uh, well made. I got to give it that. So he can direct a film, but yeah, I could see somebody like Tom Hanks, where who we're used to seeing on the screen, going uh, eventually. I just want to make some movies now. I'll tell some stories myself, like Ron Howard. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, like uh, oh, here's another guy, Peter Berg. He's getting. I think he's fairly prolific. He does Hollywood movies, but I believe he's like growing into something. Yeah. And he is really making a lot of movies. Somebody like that, where you might see him in 20 years' time still making movies. Because Clint Eastwood is, like, literally from the old days of movies. <laughs> Spaghetti westerns and before that, like... 50s is when he started, yeah. and, I believe. And still, you know, it's crazy. So uh, thanks to Warner Brothers for the Blu-ray. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. If you want to enter a contest, go to aschoolie.com. Talking to Peter Berg... Next week's Blu-ray review is Patriot's Day, starring Mark Wahlberg. We'll be looking at that next week. I feel like we only just saw Deepwater Horizon. It's not been long. Yeah, he put them out really quick. Um, So, uh, movie recommendations on the subject of flying. I'm going with Flight with Denzel Washington. That has an amazing, amazing uh, crash in it. The actual flight, the actual plane crash is really, really intense. Yeah. Um, Really. And my other one is... Uh, what else was a good plane crash? The opening episode of Lost. Yeah, where the whole back mm-hmm. comes off the plane, yeah. Also, another really, really, really awesome plane crash, if you want to see a good movie plane crash, is um, the one Alive, is it called? Where they actually end up eating each other. Yeah. That actual crash is amazing. It That's is. the one where the plane... But is it? Into. If you watch it again, would it be? I just remember watching that in the cinema at the time, and it just freaked me out. Like, it just felt it's so... It's been weird. a long time. Yeah. So uh, my other one, and this is totally on the other end of the plane plane um, disaster movie, is Airplane, the original Airplane. <laughs> um, That's what we need. You need to watch. Um, you need to watch um, Flight, Flight and, Sully. and then Sully, and then Airplane. And by the end, uh, you'll, start out, yeah, you'll start out really like low <laughs> down, and then like you'll pick yourself up a little, and then Airplane will just be like... You know, it's not a funny subject, planes crashing, but Airplane manages to be funny. In the, in, you know, using that. Because back in the 70s, when Airplane came out in the early 80s, back in the 70s, plane crash crash movies were the hot, hot thing, weren't they? They were. Well, there weren't tons and tons of them, there were a few. There was that series of plane movies called Airplane, uh, called, and they were called 77, 78. They made one every year for a while. Airport. And then there was a series of TV movies also that were uh, about plane. We were just obsessed with plane crashes. And uh, Airplane just capitalized on it in a comedy, which is kind of... It's a genius movie, i got to say. They're capitalizing on the 
movies, not the on mo- the plane Yeah, crash. like the fascination with plane crashes and how do you make that funny. So yeah, airplane and flight. Yours are? Mine are. Going back to 1987, my 30-year trip back into history. Is there any planes in any of these? The movies that are on my list that I've seen. So I'm picking all the ones from 87. And uh, possibly the second one. But uh, the first one is Witches of Eastwick. Which, if I watched it now, it would be super dated. But at the time, it was unlike anything. It was that kind of weird, obviously, cauldron of women. Witchy. uh, Jack Nicholson involved himself with all these women. And there was a bit of, you know. I saw it. It's so vague, though. I have no idea. It is pretty vague. And I think now it'll be super outdated, unless you're highly emotional, you know, because he was quite a shit. And the other one is Full Metal Jacket, which to me is a complete blank. I know I've seen it. I know. I've seen it. I look at clips. I'm like, yep, I've seen it. But I think of putting it all together and it just doesn't happen. Full Metal Jacket is a funny movie for me, right? Not funny. Not funny how hard. <laughs> I was going to say, I really don't remember. But... How I experienced Full... It's, I think it's fantastic. Um, but Apocalypse Now is my favorite war film. But... Full Metal Jacket is second, easily. And uh, how I experienced it was when I was a teenager, Full Metal Jacket used to be on Channel 4 at night. And I had to go to bed at a certain time. And Full Metal Jacket is a movie, literally a movie of two halves. It's split in half right in the middle. Like, it's the training camp part with the Sergeant Major. And then as soon as the middle of the movie occurs, it's it goes to the war part. And... I saw the beginning half about five times before I ever even got to see the second half. So in my mind, the, it's only the beginning half. I don't really ever recall the end bit. Oh, right. So that beginning bit is so stuck in my mind because I've seen it so many times. And it's so harrowing, that beginning part. You don't remember any of it, do you? Not really. I mean, do you remember no. like what happens at the end of the beginning part? Oh, it's horrible. Like, when you're, when you're like young, it's like, ugh. I remember watching Deer Hunter. Yeah, well, it's that kind of scenario. That's really again. That's a split. You got the before they go, and then you got the when they go. And 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 Full Metal Jacket is almost feels like two different movies. It's got a very different vibe, the front and the back of it. But um, I haven't really not seen the back of it as much. So all I recall is the beginning bit. But I love that movie. It's awesome. Stanley Kubrick, by the way. So uh, games and a scully stuff. I've been playing more Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, this is a huge game, so I'll probably say this every week. I've been playing more Horizon Zero Dawn. It's a great game. It's really awesome. I love the story. I've uncovered lots more of the story. I'm not going to spoil any of it, though. It's one of the best stories I've ever, like, witnessed in a game. It's, like, really... F- I feel like there's a lot more to it. But the way I play games like this, it's kind of annoying. I don't want to further the story because I... Um, I want to savor it. So any side things that come up, I'll do the side things before I'll do the story. And it's all, if there's a list of things to do, and one of them's further the story, I'll do everything else before I do the further the story part. So I'm not the best person for these kind of games to, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm not experiencing it properly if I just run all the way through the story. I have to do everything. I have to do the side missions... I just did a side mission. You saw me doing it this afternoon with a big story to it about a woman who got killed. Yeah. And, you know, and if you are running through the story, you wouldn't see that. And it's a whole big thing. Like, it's a, it's a big... Uh, so, yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn is awesome. PlayStation 4, uh, pick it up. 
Sven on Saturday night. First, look at me in The Sims. Every week I play The Sims, look at me, what I'm doing. Cooking. In my underwear. Look at that, uh, chopping. <laughs> I've made my body nice and round, just like I am, and there she is in her sports clothes, uh, cooking dinner, which is really fun. Looks like she's cooking meat, though. Uh, no, it's something spinach-related, but it is just a little graphic on the video game, so. What is Sven did you say? Yeah. What's hero? Oh, Sven is... A horror host. He has a show for two hours every Saturday night on MeTV. He hosts an old movie of some kind, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and this week is called The Uninvited, which sounds very modern. But it's from 1944. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes on Saturday, because this isn't Saturday, but we'll get around The one we watched last week, I actually kind of liked it. Yeah, I did too. It was a, uh, yeah, what you call it, wolf man. Type scenario. But better than yeah. usual. Yep. yep. And it has some weirdness with those two ladies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you what's for dinner. Yes. Tonight, you're going to have a veggie burger. I'm going to make vegetables and farro. I like farro. I was really well, good. I liked the last farro. It was in that Hello Fresh thing that we had, so I'm going to try it again. I've got the zucchini. I've got the farro. I've got the vegetable broth. So um, what I'm trying to do is cut out... The big heavy-duty carbohydrates. Bread is the number one. You don't eat much bread anyway, do you? I eat a lot. We eat sandwiches every other day. I eat Subway or Jimmy John's or a wrap. All those wraps are all just plain old white flour, right? So if I eat it at work, I eat a sandwich. I make my own sandwich at the sandwich bar because everything in there is meat. So at the sandwich bar, I don't have to have meat. I can just put cheese and lettuce, and that's what I usually have. So I'm trying to think of a way. I'm going to be 50 in the fall. So I'm like, okay, I need to drop some, I think, to feel better. The food might be part of it, like making me feel bloaty and weird. And then the rest of it is if I just get some of the pounds off, I'll feel better. We'll be able to cycle when it gets warmer. Exactly. That will be a huge thing. If I'm also over the hump of getting rid of most of the carbs, I'm going to do a little campaign of my own called 50 by 50. Drop You're going to be 50 pounds. Yes. yes. <laughs> I want to be 50 pounds by the time I'm 50 years hit. old. No, I actually can use lose 50 pounds. That's how round my ass is. So 50 by 50 is going to be my new campaign. If I put it out there to the public and to people who know me, maybe I'll be a little more accountable. The problem is I don't ever weigh myself. I don't plan on weighing myself. So I won't know if I've actually lost 50 pounds. Well, you will. You would. If you'd lost 50 pounds, you'd know it. It's not like... And if I don't know the number. No. Right? So I need to go to the doctor, have her weigh me, do my doctor visit for the year, and then on my birthday, go back and see what happened. So we'll see. Cutting out the bread is the number one. Pharaoh is a good carbohydrate, apparently. So I'm going to go with it. I'm in love with vegetables and shit like that. So my main problem is I love bread and I love potato chips and I love potatoes. I could literally just eat a 10-pound bag of potatoes in a day. Boil them, roast them, fry them, mash them. It makes me excited just to think about it. <laughs> All right. So I have to get over that hump. All right. So talking of humps, what's your <laughs> advice? <laughs> My advice is, and this you're, it sounds kind of funny, but you can shine without glitter. You know, there are a lot of happy, happy, super chirpy people in the world. Right. And that you feel like if you if they could, they would, they would, when they cough, glitter would come out or fart glitter would come out their ass but because they want everything just to be sparkly and nice and ah, well that's not the only way to like weird image in my head now (laughs) that's good not of me obviously (laughs) that's not me farting glitter but um 
there are other ways to like shine and I don't mean shine like ah oh, look at me I'm glorious but shine as in stand out in your own life not necessarily to other people now this gets complicated but I want to be productive and do more things that I feel I'm doing some good for something in my life. So every day I'm trying to be productive in some way or another. Draw something, make something, work on these little organizations I now am helping with to sort of maybe shine a light on something else as well. It doesn't have to be me being like, da, 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 look at me, I'm tap dancing and doing everything. Um, you can be small, but you don't have to be that super, you could even be the most cynical, skeptical curmudgeon and still do good in a way that nobody has to know about that would make you shine a bit even on your darkest insides without the glitter <laughs> just a little bit of something that elevates you a little bit in life i think you know just True. because you're not farting glitter doesn't mean you can't be an optimistic person at least a sliver of the time to make something better for somebody I'm sure if you go on Pornhub or YouPorn, <laughs> there's a farting glitter section. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> um, I, won't, I won't do that. So. All right. So I'll remind you about our websites, aschoolie.com, sidso.com. You can catch us on Twitter and Facebook. You can also catch this podcast on the iTunes Music Store, the Google Play Store, or the RSS feed, aschoolie.com slash podcast. Go there, listen on the page, listen to all 471 editions, if you like. Um... I'm sure somebody has probably done that. Listen to all of them. If you have listened to all of them, tell me and you will... I've listened to them all. I mean, I've been here for them all. I haven't listened back to them all. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard them all. I, uh, in you know, real time. So um, email feedback to me at aschoolatasechoolie.com. Don't email Sid Talk. And stay classy, Mr. Clint Eastwood. Really a legend of the movies. And I'm going to say think for yourself, because if you don't do it, someone will do it for you. 